This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. I ain't run down on them, though. It was a couple dudes around them. Just seen it from afar. I'm like, oh, that's Kane. The whole mall is saying, yo, Kane is in the jury shop. You can't go in the jury shop. So we just looking and we see it. And, you know, he got the... I think he had a Gucci link on at the time, a couple Gucci links. And it was just wow. like, you know what I mean? It was embodying everything that you, at that time, that you looked at a rapper to be. It was lining up. This is Nas. Growing up in Queensbridge, I never imagined the music I heard blasting at the park would change my life and transform the world. But it did. And I met a lot of people along the way who feel the same. Take this journey with me to explore how we built the culture and continue to carry on tradition. You're now listening to The Bridge, 50 Years of Hip Hop. What up, everyone? I'm Minya O, a.k.a. Nisinfo, co-host of The Bridge, 50 Years of Hip Hop. On this episode, Loso reflects on the 20th anniversary of his debut album, Ghetto Fabulous, he breaks down how the mixtape changed the game for hip-hop and why he thinks that he hasn't lost a step. In the rap music business, you have to stay true to your own vision. Trends come and go. But the only way to sustain longevity is to know who you are and how you see yourself fitting into what's hot in the streets. Someone who has been able to consistently shine in the lane that he's created for himself is fabulous. He's a Brooklyn hustler who hasn't forgotten his roots. He kept it consistent and fresh throughout his career, giving his loyal fan base what they want while always finding ways to stay relevant. You just celebrated an anniversary. Yeah, 20 years, my first album. It actually dropped on 9-11. Wow. That was the first, my first album dropped on the exact day of 9-11. That Happy anniversary, but yeah. with a yeah, it was crazy. Tricky. It's tricky. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when, you know, at this point, being able to look back on stuff and, yeah. ha- and have so much to be thankful of. And still you know. killing it now. Yeah, so. Uh, it's a Cold blessing. summer. It's a blessing. Shootouts three, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? For me, I still like have a love for hip hop like for the music 
Like when albums drop, I really check albums out the same way we used to just go and get a project and pop it in and look through the cover. And I still enjoyed the process of that. You know what I'm saying? And I think that love for hip hop is always going to be in me. When Nas drops King Disease, I go check it out like the same way I would go check out Illmatic and it was written. Different circumstances, different lifestyle, but it's still the music. You know what I mean? It's still based on the music. And, you know, and I do that all the way around. I check out the new stuff too, not just all the icons and legends in the game, but I check out some of the new stuff too, just to keep you sharp. Might be something that I ain't on, but I check it out to even know if I ain't on it. You know what I'm saying? And and then just move forward. Take us back to to Young Fabulous in Brooklyn. Where where you from? I'm from Brooklyn. I'm from a project called Brevoort Projects in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. What I was saying to you before, I fell in love with hip-hop because it was like the soundtrack to everything going on in my neighborhood. When I saw people playing ball, when I saw car games, little house parties, uh, anything that we found fun in my neighborhood, hip-hop was a part of it. It even changed the texture of it because, like I said, we was playing basketball They'll be running a, a full quarter basketball and somebody had a boombox out there playing uh, Run DMC or whatever was playing at the time. And it just set the, the tone of the basketball game. I seen games, of course, where it was no music playing and it just didn't feel that same way. And that's how I knew the difference of it. So then from there, I just started taking a liking to it because I seen that it was the soundtrack. I seen that it was what's going on. I seen the, how the older guys are reacting to it when something come on, when Eric B and Rakim come on. Now I'm tuned in, I'm tapped in. Now I start really digesting what was good to me. Cause at first you just hearing stuff. When you first discovering it's like, oh, this is cool. But now I'm like, all right, what artists speak to me? What rap speaks to me? What type of music speaks to me? So my first album my mom's got me was Run DMC. I remember the feeling like they had like style, but it was simple, but it was like so much style to it. Like taking something simple and just swagging it out and taking the laces out of Adidas and wearing a Kango, wearing a, you know, fedora, whatever they did to it, they took the simplest things. And and then that graduated to, all right, I need somebody with a little bit more like wordplay. So then I got into Kane and Kane was like my first favorite rapper. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like that was the first person that I said like, nah, that guy is it. You right. know, he had the flat top. He had the part. You know, the flat top was big in our hood in that time. And, you know, Kane had the jury. He had he was smooth. He was smooth. He was, he was lyrical. That's kind of what flowed through me. And then I think probably the next thing was, was big. And then Jay. And when I look back at myself, of course, I have my own story. But my style of rapping and my cadence, it comes from who was my favorites. And I had to make my own of that, but I see a lot of those guys in me mm. and what I, what kind of hip-hop I like, what type of moves I make. Hip-hop kind of groomed me in that way just from my favorite artists a little bit. Did you ever meet Big? I did. I met Big. I wasn't even really rapping yet. I was rapping, but not on no, you know, nobody had. And I, my guys from my neighborhood was trying to, like, get me too big. So we pulled up to the... Um, Crush on You video set. Oh, wow. And um, so I went over there. My man had already, like, been trying to, I'm telling you, we got this kid. He's nice, da-da-da-da-da. When I got there, I think he said, yo, sport, because they used to call me sport in my neighborhood. And I'm tripping. I'm bugging. I'm like, yo, how? That's what Big said. know my name? Yeah. To me, that's, like, big charisma to make, to say that to you, to make you feel good. Yeah. 
I know from coming around other people, and they sometimes they act like they don't know you, or don't, even if they did. So for Big to even say a name, even just saying on some what's up, I was like, it hit me like, wow. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, damn, somebody really got him my stuff because he know who I am. Passed and never really got to get any further, but I remember meeting him and, you know, the guys around that after that, yo, we going to keep staying on Big to, you know, Big was forming, uh, you know, had Junior Mafia, but was forming like at that the time, everybody trying to, yeah. yeah, you know what I'm saying? So it was a lot going on and we was just trying to find our way in. I'm really kind of a generation under it. So, yeah. like, to be honest, the people who was moving around, they was kind of in their age group and generation. So they was kind of like, I got my little man. Like, I was the little man. Yeah. So, like, they coming around Junior Mafia. And one of my guys from my hood, he's, like, on the big age generation. Mm -hmm. And then there's a couple other guys who are, like, in the Junior Mafia generation. So it was that's where they was trying to work the angle to, to get to, to the top. Right. <laughs> but one, they wasn't from my exact hood. Yep. I'm from a projects. And kind of you from the projects, you stay in your own projects and you move around the areas around your projects, but yeah. you don't venture off too far. That's why I never mixed with them or knew them. But my older guys, they went to maybe high school with them or went to Western House or something like, you know, had mm -hmm. a way to connect with them. When did you meet Fab? How did you guys connect? Because was it the same way in terms of you being in Brooklyn? Did it have to come to hip hop for you guys to actually meet each other and really connect? Yeah, I was just a, a fan of Nas from hip hop, from from the music. You know what I'm saying? So I tapped in from Illmatic and then I tapped in from It Was Written. And I was just a fan of, at that point. And like, yo, Nas is nice. We fuck with Nas. And I had no way to make it to Queens or Queens Bridge. I'd never been anywhere near that. So, like, even the stories that he painting, I'm really relating to it a lot because I'm from a projects. If you're from New York and you're from the projects, especially in that time, our lifestyles are parallel. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's the niggas is on the bench, niggas is with Henny, niggas. That whole <laughs> scenario is in every project. Mm -hmm. So that's why it was a, a, a relation there, but I never really knew. I'd never been to Queens Bridge. I never... My uncle lived in Queens. That was the only time I ever really went to Queens. Like, I'm from really from Brooklyn in these four square blocks of my projects. You know what I'm wow. saying? I had been past his projects a few times. I didn't. Know, I don't think I knew anybody there. I can't remember. We were going out in Brooklyn somewhere. I said, oh, we see that projects. Mm. And um, I think I first heard you, you know, when you always listen out for somebody new that's coming up, that you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, yo, him. Mm. Uh, him no 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 he got another one mm -hmm. he got another one and it was um, the one with Nate Dog. I was like the student ought to make songs mm. he's a problem and you hear his name buzzing you hear his name buzzing and you kept getting better and better mm. and you was choosing the right tracks and I'm like nah he's forming into the whole thing mm. and I don't know which song was, was first when I was like all right, he's here to stay. Mm. But I was like, we all knew it. Mm. And then from then on, it was just like, dude is one of the nicest dudes that ever touched this thing. I don't know how you make your rhymes all the time, but I think it's a delight when we all listen to Fab because we know he's going to say something smart. Mm. It's going to be some double entendres. Yep. It's going to be some crazy metaphors. It's going to be up-to-date stuff that's going on. 
Can you tell us about that journey getting signed? Mm. The journey to get signed, you know, it was buzzing around my hood that this kid is nice. Everybody in my whole hood, some way, is trying to figure different ways to get you on. I end up meeting this this kid through one of my friends, this kid named Webb, through my friend Sack. And they lived on the same block, a block away from my projects, like one block over. And um, I think my friend Sack was rapping or either playing something I did, and that kid heard it. And he was like, yo, who is that? He kind of thought that it was somebody who was out already or something like that. And he was like, nah, that's my man from the projects right there. He's like, yo, I want to meet him. So he brings him over to meet me. Long story short, he telling me, like, yo, I could get you a record deal. I wasn't tripping. It's, if you if it happened, it happens. But, you know, I'm still in here doing what I do. I'm in the projects selling drugs 100 miles an hour at this time just to take care of myself. I ain't trying to be Scarface, but right. I'm, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm good. He come back and he like, I want you to take you up to meet Clue. So at this time, Clue is huge in the streets from his mixtapes and uh, everything he's doing on that level. Like I said, I'm still in my four block race. I don't even know what Clue is doing outside of New York or any. I know we listen to Clue tapes and like he got a show on Hot 97. And we fans of the tapes. Every time it drop, you know, we looking for the freestyles. We hearing Nas's new joints or freestyles. We hearing big, all of this stuff. I don't know the inner works of the industry yet. I don't know how he getting it. Like, you know what I mean? He just got the new shit and we fans of that. So when he said the clue name, I'm like, all right, let me see what this is. You know what I'm saying? So him and his man come through. They're like, yo, we're going to take you up to Hot 97. We go up to Hot 97. I thought I was just meeting Clue, to be honest. Like, I didn't, I didn't have myself prepared that I was going to rap or whatever like that. So I'm going up there, young, very skinny, big Averex on, like, you know what <laughs> I mean? Just like trying to really go up there and, and just meet Clue and just think that this is going to start the relationship of something that could be something. And uh, we get up there and Clue is up there. They're like, hey, what's up? Skane was there that day. Clue's like, yo, you ready to rock? Like he's giving me the, the lane, the freestyle or something on, on air. So... I'm at a point where I'm like, I ain't really ready to rock, but I don't know if I'm going to ever get this opportunity to rock again. So I'm like, yeah. And I go look and peeking through the window, so to say, and Nori is in there. Nori at this time is scorching. Wow. Nori just was solo. And N-O-R-E. I'm not sure if N-O-R-E was out or is about to come out, but Nori is scorching. This is like September 98. And I'm like, damn, I'm supposed to go in there and rapping Nori in there. But at the same time, I'm big on opportunity. I know that's the difference between you really taking off or doing something and not doing something. Just the opportunity to do it. And it's on you after that. So I'm like, all right, I'm 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 game. I'm up for it. Pull me in there, I sit down. Nori is already Nori, so he he got his energy. And now I know Nori's story too from from the music. I know he from a projects too, so he, he get he had that same energy that a nigga from your projects got. I'm able to relate to us. So I'm like, all right, cool. I loosened up actually coming in there with Nori and them because I felt like I'm sitting in my building with with right. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Clue come back. He's like, yo, we're going to go pay these bills and we're going to come back. And we got a special, we got Nori up here, and, you know what I mean? A special kid. I don't even know if Clue knew my name. Like, I don't even think he said it because I didn't even really give him a name. Like, it was like, <laughs> I don't even know what he said. So he like, yo, we're going to come back for us. So now I'm like, just waiting for this to come back. And then he put on a beat. I think he put on Money, Power, Respect. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go. 
and I just went. Now, Nori came, and he went behind me. But after he went, I'm like, man, I don't know when I'm I'm on air. I don't know when I'm, I just went again. Even like Nori was looking like, yo, you, you going again? So now he got, but I could tell it was a respect there. And I could tell the way the room was, they didn't know how I was going to come. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, that happened. I leave. And um, when I'm coming out, I'm, I, I link back with Clue and Skane again. And they like, yo, you did your thing. You know what I mean? We're going to get your number. And, and you know, we, let's talk, figure something out and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, all right. I'm like, I feel like. I kind of aced the meeting, yep. you know what I'm saying? But I still, I ain't going to lie, I still didn't get my hopes too high because I'd have been through a couple situations that it felt like that, and then it just went away. But I still rose to the opportunity. I always tell, I tell kids that today, like if the opportunity is is so golden because it's it puts the ball in your court and you just got to perform it. And when you do that, even if it don't, Turning to nothing, you could honestly say, like, I gave my 100% in. Right. Like, I could have looked at the opportunity from my past and been like, nah, this shit ain't going to be nothing, man. I'm not, nah, I ain't spitting. I'm not you ready. you had that mentality. Or, yeah. yeah, you could have whatever whatever perspective you want to say on it, like, nah, this ain't going to turn into nothing. Or Because at that time, too, you know, people, let me hear you spit something. They'll tell you, you rap. And then be like, yeah, nah, you all right. You, all right. you know what I mean? It's, it's just be nothing. You know what I'm right. saying? So. That over a year or two could build up in you and be like, man, I ain't rapping for niggas. So that opportunity, one, of course, because it was Clue and Hot 97 and those and Nori being there, I, I just like, yo, I got to rise to this opportunity and just see where it took me. And that was that led me to being signed Clue from that night, kept in touch. We started working on freestyles and, you know, the freestyles built up to where Nas said where we got to do songs and we got to, I kept living up to it. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? I kept doing the freestyles and he's like, oh, all right, it's, it's making sense. So by the time we got to where the Nate Dogg song was, that's when we were, were signed and they made the decision to do the The Nate Dogg shit is so key to my career because the East Coast, West Coast beef, and that might have been the first time that since that whole thing, since Not like it was pop, on me because yep. I wasn't in when it happened, but it was like the smoke clear of it. And now who is going to be the, <laughs> yeah, who's <laughs> going to do yeah. a joint here yeah, together and stuff like that. So, and it was the same thing with like when y'all did the Firm album, I was looking at like help bridge the gaps there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I never worked with Nate. I'm a big fan of Nate. When that record came out, I think we was all happy because the smoke was clearing and it seemed like this is some, yeah. this is new energy coming through. Unity and was dope because Nate Dogg is saying, I'm from the West Coast, the heart of the West Coast, and I see Fab, mm. and I want to work with him. Mm -hmm. He ain't work with us, mm -hmm. you know? And But it was him saying, this dude is dope. Mm -hmm. I see that on the West Coast, even if we're not supposed to like that at the time. Mm. He still did it, and the song is um, it's a hit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Rest in peace, Nate Dogg. I, I never knew how that song connected that until I got older, though. When I was younger, I was just like, oh, I'm getting a feature with Nate Dogg. I was just hyped because, you know, Nate Dogg at that time was already Nate Dogg. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But when I got older and looked back at it, I was like, damn, that was kind of like a bridge almost, like where it was kind of like saying, okay, yeah, it's cool. Like like he said, the young, yep. the young East Coast energy tapping in with some like, and he had to probably, I wonder if he... I don't ever think we got to speak on it if he got any flack or right. any, like, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, if like, the oh, West Coast is looking out. at yeah, yeah, like, you know what I mean? 
But I also ended up doing something with E-40, and I felt like that was a, a bridge of that, too. Because, mm. like, a couple years later, it might have even came from the Nate Dog smoothing to E-40 reached out and was like, yo, I want to get you on a joint. I was just like, where's this West Coast shit? Like, you know what I mean? I've never even really tapped into the West Coast like that yet. By the time E-40 there, I was. But at the Nate Dog time, like, I hadn't been there. Uh, well, there was the like a musicality, like I think, to to your your songs and your albums early. That mm-hmm. even though you were coming from freestyling and mixtapes, it ended up being something that had like a lot of melody and harmony and and R and B and mm-hmm. women loved it. And it, you know, like that, those are the things that are very universal, mm-hmm. like great music. One thing I really wanted to get into with you is the idea of the mixtape culture and what it was like. Because I don't think a kid coming up loving hip hop right now and they they just pay for a Spotify you yeah. know, subscription and that's it's it. Yeah. They don't really, they can't conceive of how important this little piece of plastic or CD was. Even the discovery, you know what I'm saying? Like I was saying, those freestyles on those tapes, it was a discovery. Like you... Like, I dis- I felt like I discovered Nas and heard them freestyles. And, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or even when Nas would do a joint with Nature and you discovering the guy that he's yep. opening the door to. Like, those was all discoveries into hip-hop for you. All like, your song debuts were, like, on mixtapes. Mm-hmm. Even beefs were played out over weeks and weeks and weeks where you're waiting for the next mixtape to come out to hear what the response is. So if you can kind of talk about, explain to somebody who doesn't come from that era how important these mixtapes were. It's hard to explain, but I could give them like, it's just a different process really to me. I guess their era, of course, now is through um, social media and the internet and stuff like that. But that was our really our social media at that time because you listening like you just said when it's a beef you listening to see what they gonna say back on the next mixtape mixtapes even changed a couple times because mixtapes also became like where a guy would make his own mixtape versus right. the DJs being the, the engineer of the mixtape and you you submit something to the DJ later on you know when like uh, I want to say like Drake and Kendrick they just created their own mixtape and then have to have it along with other songs and other artists and stuff like that. So that was a different transition too. But I think the discovery um, of how mixtapes help you discover hip hop in that way is so authentic. You had to go through that to feel it and understand it. It's like telling somebody how having a kid feel that don't have a kid, it don't translate the same. Cause they be like, oh no, nah, that's cute. You know, you had a kid. It's like, nah, <laughs> when you have a kid, it should be like a, a piece of you. I have a son and it's so true because it's like you've never felt so weak and so strong at the same time. Mm. You're the most vulnerable that you will ever be in life because a part of you lives outside of your body and you're just worried all the time. But you're also stronger than you've ever been because you're like, this is my future, my everything, you know. So I think it's like it's so true. I mean, I can't ever compare any work to that. Mm-hmm. But it is like it. It's like if you work on something and you're so proud of it, then you want to share it with the world. If you have a child, you're like, I have this responsibility to the world. Yeah. Right? It's a deeper connection. And then on the emotional side, like how you said, it's deeper too. Like it's like you're tapping to uh, emotions and vulnerability that you never really tapped into, yeah. like just right. having a kid. So that's where, like, when they do something that affects you or hurts you, like, you feel it. Yeah. Like, you never really, I never felt nothing like this. I might have not even cared it when somebody else do it, but when they hit home, it's How many on. you got? 
I got three. <laughs> I got, I got, Beautiful I actually kid. got different gender. I got a yeah. 13 year old, a six year old, and an 11 month baby. Wow. That's Solid. amazing. I'm ready to have another 11 month. I'm ready to have a baby <laughs> again, man. My, my daughter's 27, my son is 12, and it's like, they don't live with me. Yeah. So I'm like, yo, I'm like, damn, y'all all the way over there, yeah. man. Like, it's just me. Nas, so, you should not be putting it out there that you're ready to have another kid. We have yeah, yeah. We're just having that type of conversation. Yeah. I'm just saying because of the conversation. <laughs> it's just like that kind of love. All right, change the subject. <laughs> yeah, there. exactly. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Fab has the gear on top of gear on top of gear. Decades worth. My closets get revolved into like this storage I got. It might be stuff in there from like 05 or 03. And um, I started even keeping like stuff that you wore that was like signature pieces. Right. I started keeping that from staying in like the, um, the Hard Rock Hotel. And you know how they may have Prince's outfit on the, right, you know what I'm saying? Right, that's smart. So I was like, you never know. Maybe one day it's going to be a hip-hop Hall of Fame and they'll want the Kobe jersey I wore and, and trade it all. So wow. I started just keeping those pieces. One of your craziest pictures is uh, the Back to the Future joint. Oh, yeah. On the uh, uh, DeLorean. Yeah, and we tracked down a dude in Long Island that had the DeLorean. So I was like, if we're going to do it, we got to do it right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We got to do it right. We got we got it. the shoes. We tracked the guy down. He was a collector. That was his baby. Like, so he really wanted to be Take at the shoot it. everything. Mm-hmm. You know, we had respected and it was a it was a great shot though. I was tapped in because I didn't, Back to the Future was one of the movies when I was a kid that I like really tapped in and, and loved. So like even when the shoes came back, mm-hmm. as a kid, I didn't know the story of the car, DeLorean. And so it make you even more appreciative of the whole story and you know how even Back to the Future represented kind of like what mm-hmm. the future is gonna be. We was in the eighties and so 
But like talking about your your closet and basically now you could kind of like refer to it as an archive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised that you didn't get rid of stuff or you you, you kept all these. things. I did. Like, I didn't. I didn't keep everything until it hit me. Like you should be keeping some of this stuff because it's like that's where I got the idea from when I stayed at the Hard Rock and I seen like Prince's outfit up there or Michael Jackson's outfit up there and Jimi Hendrix. Like I'm just starting to look and I'm like, yo. These is iconic outfits that you might have wore, like from our culture too, videos that we might have did videos, and those were maybe some from their shows or whatever. But we we had looks from our videos that when you seen me and traded all in that video, you seen Nas and uh, Hate Me Now with the white mink, any of them yeah. looks that people connect with, they could be something. So I just started like from that point collecting. I I definitely threw out a lot of stuff. You give them away, and you're like, wait yeah. a second, I should have kept that. Is Street Fam your label, management company, or? Actually, the family is now the label. We changed it from Street Fam um, from other prior things. Matured up. Yeah, yeah. It just matured up. up. A little yeah, bit. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> we took it there. But it's like, it's really like the crew, the brand, the label. It's all based there. Your team and your crew become like, your family, sometimes even more than your own family because you're spending more time mm-hmm. or it's like the family that you end up growing into, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And um, that's where that really came from to me. When Street Fam came, it really was like my friends in the streets that that I hang around every day. That's my family. We look out for each other. We That's where it came from. And then, um, you know, you expand a little bit, man. We was having a conversation how when you first come in, you come in with a bunch of guys and it's just really just you supposedly really just repping where you from and your yeah. your homies. And then over time, it, it gradually cuts down to, like, people who are really there. And then it cuts down a little bit more to people who got it and they supposed to be there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I watched that go through many artists, not even just myself, but I watch it through different different people. And um, I think it's a process that come with it. I think it's part of growing up. I think it's part of maturity. I think it's part of growth. You know what I'm saying? None of the guys who came in with 50 guys, they're still really standing. Now, you still might have, not saying that everybody disconnects and you never speak to them no more, but it's just, it fines tune down to who needs to be there next to you. I don't know whether at a certain point, do you have to have like that hard conversation with the people that are closest and say like, do "Do you want this or should we... Part ways. We talked about that too. You definitely got to have them conversations because you might not know what they thinking and they might yeah. not know what you thinking. One, to go with what you just said, one of my boys who was like my barber since I was a kid and then he, when I started doing the music thing, he was, you know, with me and traveling and, you know, on stage with me and all that and then it got to a point where like we growing up and he had like a, a relationship and he like, his girl want to move to Atlanta and he was like conflicted because he knew that's going to change our relationship. Like he cried to me. Like he sat in the thing like, yo, man, this is like the hard, one of the hardest decisions that I ever made. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm you my guy, you know, but for my relationship and what moving forward, yeah. you know, yeah. I'll, I'm going to go to Atlanta. And you know what I'm saying? And I, yeah. and I wish them well in it because I, I know that's a decision to make, but he's making the decision for him and his family. You know, it's it's still there. We still have a relationship. He got a shop in, in uh, shout out my boy Shaq. He got a shop in uh, Atlanta and stuff like that. And, you know, it happens like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what I mean? Some Sometimes, people, though, yeah. figure it out. And, you know yeah. what I mean? I had a barber, actually. Uh, but now he's like, he's working with Rock Nation and managing uh, 
you know, I see him with all the cool artists from Yo Gotti <laughs> to mm-hmm. we bump into each other and he knows I'm still his guy. He's yeah. still my guy. A lot of people I know came through me and went off and did other things and killing it. You know yeah. what I mean? So I'm happy to see them winning. So it just it just all depends, man. Like people go in their own, in their own directions, and then we wind up in the hotel room after the show by mm-hmm. ourselves. Or they come through backstage. <laughs> I have Drake's talk about old shit. Yeah, yeah. that you know? part too. That part is always cool because I hit the city. You know they're gonna be there, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like old times. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you don't dwell on like the time that's passed. You just catch up yeah. right away. But I want to go back again a little bit real quick because I like all of that project stuff because. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just what the essence. Mm-hmm. Was you too young to be in the low lives or the decepts? Nah. Those are street gangs, people. Yeah, the the low the decepts was a little bit over me, but the low lives came about when I um when I went to high school. When I went to high school, you was I went boosting? to a school and I, yeah, my my <laughs> whole hood was boosted. We taking everything like we anything what that involved with taking. My whole Yo, hood was. Macy's I would was go to taken. Macy's and Bloomies, right? Uh-huh. Not boosting, but the whole everybody in that the Polo section, the Nordica section, it was Brooklyn, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm seeing them. They nice with it, and I'm like, Yo, why am I shopping mm-hmm. when everybody else is taken? Is taken. We even got to a point where it wasn't even boosting. Like, we're really just going in there, grabbing what we want and just taking it or taking it in a bag and walking. Boosting is like a little art of, like, trying to sneaky steal it and put it in your... You know what I mean? Like, that's where it started when you was young, when you was, like, 13, 14. We was going to piece stores trying piece. to... Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. By the time we was, like, 16, 17, we was just taking stuff. It was all about rush. because we just... Yeah, we just grabbing it. We just... Whatever we had to do to to obtain it, and that's where the low lives because low lives came from boosting polo too. So that wasn't far fetched from what my hood was doing. We just taking what we what we wanted. So I also caught into like fashion. So polo at that time when I'm in you know ninth and tenth grade is a big thing. Polo, Tommy Hilfiger, Nordica, all of those is. Them is uh, project trophies almost. Like you walking around in a new Nordica sweatsuit and, you know, with the new Air Max. That's like, you know what I'm saying? You have your project day. You getting your, you know, all of that stuff. The MBs, that whatever whatever was going, you had to have it at that time. So that's where polo came from with me. Like it really came from like we trying to be fresh no matter. And then we seen what the low lives was doing. So I, I wasn't really like, completely in a low life situation but we would run parallel because we was taking we was taking money and we was getting fresh and doing polo and my friends a lot of my friends who was low lives they was like from other parts of Brooklyn and they would be from Flatbush or they would be from East New York or Brownsville and then you you know you meet them up in the train stations or at school Mm -hmm. and that's where that collective came from and you know I kind of was almost affiliated but I didn't I ain't running their crowd. I kind of went back to my hood. Was there nothing that the stores were trying to do? Like, they just would just... They would try, but it was... I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's like the kids is coming 24-7 from different angles, from different crowds of kids. Like, it's it's just a a hard thing to maintain, Mm -hmm. I would say. Over time, I think it, it changed a little bit, but at that time, they ain't had no answer for that right there. Yo, you be 
be saying stuff. You schooling dudes. Mm. You're giving them knowledge. You're letting them know what you seen, what's not to be done, what you shouldn't be doing. I think that's that's that G talk. It's like, you know, I think you are able to go into any style of rap. I think you can do, I heard you do every type of style. I heard you rap with whoever mm. and burn it up. Um, but you telling people something, man. Mm. Men and women, you talking. And um, we appreciate you for that, man. Thank you. Word. But you know what's crazy? I didn't, when I first just got into the music, it was more about being a wordsmith to me, like finding cool ways to say, say shit. Like I didn't, I didn't never look at it as I was dropping gems or being edu- right. like that wasn't right. my lane to it. As I grew, I started saying like, all right, I gotta sprinkle some medicine in the candy a little bit. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And that's that came with me maturing as an artist. But you know, coming in at 21, 22, young, you know what I mean? I'm just rapping. Cause I listen to to rap and I want to say cool shit. And um, quick question for you: When you was coming in a young, did you know you had a? I don't want to say obligation, but did you know you had to drop gems in Illmatic, or did you know like later on, like you know what people is listening to hear some some gems from me? I I wanted to drop gems because the conversations I was having around that time as a very young adult was was that type of conversation where I was mm. talking to a lot of older guys um, and they was putting me on because they saw a light. They got like started to like me and saw a difference in me from a lot of the guys I was hanging around. So a lot of the older dudes will pull me to the side and I almost could feel that they're going to pull me to the side because I could check them. I see them checking me out while I'm with this crew and mm-hmm. I see them sizing up everybody. And then after a while, when they got me by myself, they started to talk and then they realized the stuff I was up on and my conversation started to be like that, even with my my crew. Mm-hmm. And we was always trying to look for uh, ways out. Because, you know, there's, everybody's rich today. But mm-hmm. back then, yeah, back you know then what I'm saying, even the rappers was struggling. Right. Drug dealers had more money than them left and right. Yeah. So we were still trying to use our mind to figure it out. So when I got into the rap game, and also my influence was was like like you said, Kane, but Rakim, and um, there was a... Uh, a bunch of rappers that was coming in or MCs that was coming in with knowledge itself, mm. like the brand Nubians. Mm. And and so now they starting to talk about black culture and history and stuff. So I'm like, it's blowing my mind, like Tribe Called Quest, S-Clan, along with the books I'm reading. Mm. So when I when I was writing, all of that was like interwoven into the lyrics. It was like, oh, I got it. I mean, it was just natural. It wasn't, sometimes I was trying to say something like, Yo, let me save somebody with this line. Let me mm-hmm. let me help this kid out with this line. And other times it was just like you said, just it was automatic. It was just mm-hmm. you wasn't going in as like like trying to be preachy. It's just it was kind of automatic, like the type of person I am. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, but and in that, people thought that I was trying to say I was perfect or mm-hmm. I was catching flack because people thought I was too black or too this or too mm-hmm. that. And I caught a lot of caught a lot of uh, shit from that because. Uh, I remember when I was in a club in Atlanta and I lit up a blunt. This was like 2003, mm-hmm. something like that. I lit up a blunt and I heard these girls kind of scheming on me. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, that's him over there, da, da, da. So I'm doing what, my, what I came to the club to do, have a drink and spark one. They was like, oh, no, he's smoking weed. Mm. Oh, no, I can't believe it. Mm. And I felt like they thought I was Martin Luther King or somebody. Right, right. <laughs> 
they have made made their own <laughs> yeah. image of you and bro. like, oh, you outside of the we can yeah. think you was like Wow. Bro, oh, so you like a wee head. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't even realize I'm stinking up the club, you know? Cause and I learned that shit later, like, don't go everywhere lighting up because mm-hmm. everybody don't like that shit. Right. And then one time this girl looked at me, I was at an award show backstage, and we just started talking, and she said, You know you can't save the world, right? Mm. And I was like, Is that how you look at me? Yeah, mm-hmm. like you're trying to Yeah. You get caught up with that. You're like, damn, they starting to think I'm mm. too much of this. So let me give them a little bit more of that street. Then let me give them a little bit more of this fun shit. Mm-hmm. And you just have to mix it up and make sure it's a whole meal for everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. I asked you that because, like I said, even the artist that I was my favorite at the time came. It was about, one, his style, but his wordplay, the way he could have metaphors and still be, like, hard, but still be, like how you said, ladies still. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So. That's what I like took in, like trying to trying to really have myself in that form. Like I wanted to be lyrical. I wanted, and even LL too. LL was another one who like I looked at who was yeah. people respecting him for what he did on a on a mic, but they also the ladies loved him and he could make yeah. melodic joints and then he could get on I shot you or battle cannabis, all of those. You know what I'm saying? So I looked at those type of MCs and those was who I kind of branded myself with too. And the same with Nas. I felt like the same. And all of those relations of like being from the projects, I looked at those things, the closest things to being relatable to me. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And and when I heard, you know, guys from the projects or like when I saw videos of Queensbridge look like where I'm living. You know right. what I'm saying? So right. it was like an instant relation for me. And, um, you know, my favorites, they all was word guys. Even Big, how hard Big was, Big word play and, you Crazy. know, charisma on the mic. Those yeah. is all of the guys that I intake. And then when Hove came and gave him his, and even down to when Nas was giving you gems, it still felt street too. It still felt like, you know, somebody who on your block talking to you and giving you gems. It didn't sound like, it didn't sound uh, preachy. It didn't sound like it was delivered down to you. Right. You the type of dude that I would have hung out with mm. if I lived in your neighborhood. Mm. That's that's how I, that's how I always seen you. It was like, yo, I like dude because he moved right. Mm. You know what I'm saying? He's a smooth dude. That's the type of dude that he's thinking. He's using his mind. He figured out how to maneuver and not get his shit taken and not take no shit, but at the same time not being no troublemaker mm-hmm. and 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 getting to a dollar. Mm-hmm. So that that right there is a thing that I can relate to you so much with. And I think that matters because some dudes will have part of it. You have the it thing. Some dudes have maybe you know how to rap, but they're missing, like they wear their do-rag wrong. Mm-hmm. They mix, mm-hmm. they put this together with that. I'm not saying I'm perfect and nothing like I'm just saying some of these dudes never get off the ground because you got to have something like, inauthentic. What he mm-hmm. saw in Kane and LL in the golden era. Have you ever seen, seen Kane in Brooklyn back then? I did. I saw Kane at Albee Square Mall. Wow. <laughs> Albee Square Mall. Shopping? Legendary. He was in a jury. Uh, you heard of this mall? Of course. Jury, jury of course. shop or something. Yeah. I ain't I ain't run down on him, though. It was a couple dudes around him. That was Watched. in the early time. Yeah, I was just, you know, seeing it from the farm. Like, oh, that's Kane. You know what I'm saying? Because the mall is, you know, it's people in the mall, and they all, the whole mall is saying, yo, Kane is in the jury shop. You can't go in the jury shop. So we just looking, and we see it. You know, he got the, I think he had a Gucci link on at the time, a couple Gucci links. And it was just <laughs> wow. like, you know what I mean? It was embodying everything that you, at that time, that you looked at a rapper to be. 
you know, it was it was lining up to what you heard on the music or seen in the video. It wasn't like, you know, what they call it now, like catfish. It wasn't like you yeah. see, hit, right. see one right. thing and then when you see them in person, they don't, it, it, it lined up for me. So that's what instantly made the connection to me too. I got to say, the first time I saw Big Daddy Kane's first album cover mm-hmm. was in the Albee Square Mall jury store. Mm. Oh. I didn't see him, but I saw a poster of his album. Probably because Before he was the album was there. out. Mm. Right. Before the album was out, I saw it in the jury store. I'm, I'm like, wow. And dude's like, come on, man. We got to go up the escalator, try to go to the sneaker store, whatever was upstairs. And I'm staring at this album cover like they didn't have camera phones back then. Mm. I went back to the hood like, I saw Kane. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't know what he like looked like. Like a mental picture. You yeah. Know, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? With the girls. It was, that was the yeah, cover yeah, with the yeah, girls yeah, sitting on his the last. Kane. Oh, my yeah. God. So less like even in his imagery, like it represented on his covers. He was one of I remember one he was in like a limo with some girls. Yeah. Another one he was in a throne with the girls oh, around him. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like this is it gets no ill yeah, than that. Yeah, this is top tier. But he also <laughs> could rap with the best of them. He moved around in the streets, and the streets was behind him. So it was like that's the lane that I want to be in. That's the first person that I could say was my favorite. Like, I had a few other rap albums before that. I had Run DMC. I had, and that time, it was records. My mom bought me a record to Run DMC. Like, I begged her, like, yo, I want, because I was tapping into hip-hop, I wanted a record. And she got that for me, and I was like, you know, Run DMC is cool. And it was like an introduction. But then when I got to Kane, I was like, nah, this is the guy. It's so great to hear, like, the early seeds that were planted in you guys, you know, minds. And that's why we're here. Yeah, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. (laughs) Yeah, it's the craft, too. That's why I'm saying them favorites is what groomed me. And I, I of course, got to be myself and take it to the next level. But one thing about history, it teaches you, and you got to follow forward from there. Any history that you do or any lesson you learn, it's really to teach you about how you move to the future. Yeah. So that's, they was my hip-hop history from that, from that era. Yep. And Nas is a part of that too, man. Nas definitely is a part of my my grooming of hip-hop. Like, hip-hop is a big part of my, who I am. You know, the stories you hear, the the way things are articulated in the the music, um, the way people carry themselves, all those things. You know, you sitting in the, in your room or on your on your ride to school and listening to these stories, people lifestyles, like you know, it's nothing that you could tell me about them because I listened to, I heard it here. Right. Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. you can't tell me, rest in peace, prodigy ain't the hardest digger in the world. He say he rock right. you in your face, stab your brain with your, your nose bone. Wow. I never heard nobody say nothing like that. <laughs> right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yep. that's hard. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, like all of these stories and all of the intake that I took from him, it was like history lessons for me. And you know what I mean? It, it groomed me to who, you know, I ended up being as an artist, so. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Man, yeah. this is legendary. Just to, I don't even mean musically. I just yeah. mean It's great to see this connection, yeah. yeah. Right here, to have this moment. Appreciate, Appreciate you. y'all, man. Word. Thank you for having me. On next week's episode of The Bridge, 50 Years of Hip Hop, Minya and I speak with MC Light. Tribe Called Quest, which they hadn't released their music yet, but we knew them, you know, so we're hanging out. At the time, I guess we called ourselves somewhat Dayton, Q-Tip and I. 
as much as 16 wow. to 17 year olds do. Oh, he is silly. <laughs> From Spotify, the executive producers are Gina Delvec and Jason Rodriguez, with additional production support from Leslie Guam and Andrea Salenzi. And special thanks to Courtney Holt, Jessica Dow, and everyone at Spotify who helped the bridge come to life. From Mass Appeal, the executive producers are myself, Nas, Peter Bittenbender, Jenya Meggs. Lead producer is Medina Parwana, and associate producer is Serge Jabrija. Our writer is Gabe Alvarez. Samara Linga and Cliff Cristofaro are our editors. Thanks for listening. <laughs>